There's been tons of uh, stuff in the news, Jim, about legalising cannabis with the both the Greens and the Legalised Cannabis Party. So I thought what would be good today is to go through um, each of their claims on. So let's go. Let's look at the Greens website, and they've got a whole heap of Q and A on there around mm-hmm. how their policies will affect different parts of um, the cannabis market and will affect individuals and in their consumption of cannabis. So interested to get your views, um, both as an industry participant and a doctor, on on some of these um, Q and As. How's that sound? That sounds awesome, mate. All right, so let's go. First, point number one, Q&A one on the Greens website. How much will it cost and is this all about money? The best cost estimates we have from Parliamentary Budget Office suggest initial prices will be around $13 a gram, a price that is not dissimilar from current street prices. The good news is that even with cannabis sales tax and GST, the price per gram steadily declines as the scheme operates down to around $7 a gram after five years. Even with these low costs, 15% tax rate would deliver $28 billion over nine years. All right, so let's talk about that. $13 a gram, that's pr- pretty much market price today, that's fair to say. Lower for, end? From the, from the black market and also for the medicinal market as, as well. Um, a lot of companies' products are around that $15 a, a gram mark, but there are ones that are down to you know $8, $8 a gram or, or even less as well. So there are, there are products that are available currently for those who are on a budget that are cheaper than what they are proposing the legalized um, cannabis prices will be. Yeah, but they're saying here it starts off at, say, $13 a gram. Now, I'm assuming that includes a 15% tax rate. Now, it's not clear to me whether who pays the tax. Does the consumer pay the tax or does the tax come out of wholesalers and product manufacturers? They're not really clear on that. But anyway, so if you take 15% off $13 a gram, which is already at the lower end of the market, mm-hmm. that takes you down to, you know, low 10s. And they're proposing here that it's going to get down to $7 a gram in five years. Yeah. I mean, I would I would dispute that at $13 minus 15%, many people, you know, in the industry will, will be able to sustain that price in the short term. And I think... You know, this whole question around $7 a gram in five years to me also feels unlikely. Do you have yeah, a view? I, I, yeah, I'd like to know where they got those those figures from, um, especially when you're adding a whole, uh, you know, a whole host of other sort of taxes there as well that's going to be increasing the, the cost of production and, and that price to consumer. I think the only way that that's going to actually ever be realised is if there's no production of cannabis in Australia. We don't, you know, with our our, our labour costs and the um, and the the quality of our setups and the quality control measures that are, that are necessary um, to produce in Australia, the the price that they're sort of proposing is is likely uh, not viable for a lot of Australian companies. So it's likely going to be you know mass produced product that's coming from countries that you know have lower lower labor costs with less with less checks and balances and and so the 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 quality but also the um, medicinal value of that product and the potential sort of contaminants that come with it um, could could be could be an issue so and we're, we're already seeing that now right I mean Canadian product is landing on these shores at very low prices hmm. it's not necessarily clear to me whether there's a quality issue with some of that product but they are able to effectively dump it on the Australian market just because they have such an oversupply there and they've got such scale at at, at their production facilities 
and that's coming in from non-GMP. Um, you know, the, the, those growers don't have the same level of um, regulatory requirements Australian growers do, and it, everyone gets around it by simply um, packaging it in a in a GMP facility. Yeah, there's a, there's a few current current loopholes that are being exploited, which means that we are, you know. Uh, are, are not always getting the, the 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 highest quality products, but there but there are lots of you know checks and balances once products reach Australia to make sure that it it's meeting certain specs. But the product may have needed to be you know irradiated multiple times to get to that point. You know to do some buyer burden rem- remediation, which means that the quality is reduced through each one of those sort of stages. So yeah, it'd be nice to to know exactly you know where that product is is grown, where it's sort of come from. You know the the producers sort of, you know, ethics and morals and, and, uh, and we're only going to be able to have that, you know, clearly available if we're, if we're sort of promoting the growth of the Australian industry. And I don't think that these, you know, proposing these um, budget prices in the long term is probably going to mean that the Australian industry is, is, is unable to keep up if they is viable, if they're expecting these, you know, large amounts of taxes to be put onto the, um, producer. Well, we, we we should try and get on someone from the Greens or the Legalised Cannabis Party. We can ask them these questions because mm. on, in all of these Q&As, they don't talk about the Australian market. So again, you know, you can talk about um, creating um, new revenue from taxing it, but at the same time, if you're destroying the local market, you're almost cancelling out the um, the tax benefits with a loss of local production and jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, yeah. so, yeah, I think we've both got some pretty big questions around those claims and and more importantly, you know, what is their view on um, international supply versus a healthy Australian uh, market? Yeah, I've got a few things just that I wanted to comment there as well, Sam, is that we, you know, both, both you, you and I want to get the product at the best price to, to the patient or the consumer in in this sort of case um because cannabis is is exp- expensive and it does have a lot of you know value for for a lot of people who are who are using it but i don't think that's got you know that may not come about in the same way that they would they, they're proposing it's going to come about it, it might actually require government support rather than government taxation that, that uh, gets gets us there to those you know and by that do you mean uh, by being for medical patients in particular being able yeah. to potentially list it on the PBS. So there's a government, um, su- not subsidy, but, you know, the government is picking up some of the tab for patients. Yeah, look, as well, I've seen, you know, firsthand the clinical validity of cannabis as as a medicine and, there, you know, there is a lot of research going on and, and it's, you know, not going to be long until the level of evidence is up to a, a standard that, is accepted by by the mainstream and, and and hopefully that will lead to it being these medicines being registered on the, on the PBS because if we can utilize cannabis as a medicine we're going to actually be you know improving the overall quality of life of many Australian patients and and cutting costs in other areas um, that are taking up a lot of the health budget yeah I don't know if anyone's actually looked at what what the benefit to the PBS would be where there is substitution of existing medications that could be replaced with cannabis, but that would also be um, an interesting um, mm. modelling exercise that could be done to support the cannabis industry, I would think. Yeah, 
All right, let's move on to the next one. Um, won't people continue to buy on the black market? Mm, their answer is we believe that the model, the, the right model, isn't cost prohibitive and access is regulated but not overly restricted. The Parliamentary Budget Office predicts that under this model, 95% of people currently buying cannabis through illegal sources will switch to buying from their local cannabis cafe instead. This is based on exactly what has happened in Canada. So I, before we started talking, I did a little bit of Googling and I cannot find any evidence to suggest that 95% of people who were buying on the black market in North America have switched to um, a legal market. In fact, at most I can find um, evidence to suggest that it's maybe half of that. Mm. What, are, what are your views as, um, as a doctor on, or, or, well, just someone who knows the industry well, of people's propensity to swap from black market to to a legal market. Look, it's a pretty complex, you know, set of circumstances. Really, there's multiple elements, but one of the the bottom line elements is going to be the the, the cost. So, if there's you know a large taxation placed on legal registered sort of companies, as we're seeing in North America in many places, then their prices, you know. Uh, are going to be higher than the prices of those on the black market who are producing medicine at, at low cost with no no sort of taxation, and because the legal market is is widely accessible, it's much easier for people to operate within the black market as well without the the fear of of being sort of caught. So all of the all of the um, the, the danger and the fear around producing you know illegally is is less. Less, less of an issue and they can avoid the taxes by doing it illegally so they can produce, you know, uh, lower cost products. And, and if people have been using black market product for a while, they're going to have a lot of connections in that space who don't judge them, who where there's no stigma. And even though we're trying to create a culture where, you know, people utilizing cannabis, you know, for the for the right reasons uh, aren't, you know, there, there isn't an inherent bias or stigma, that's going to take a long time for that to change. So for someone who does have a relationship with cannabis to go to a place where they can access cannabis legally, there's going to be a lot of, you know, they're probably going to be worried about how people are going to perceive them as well, especially in sort of local. I, I think the only way that you really get 95% of people switching from the black market to the legal market is, and I don't know, I don't know how you would do it, but you've got to tie it into driving laws. Yeah. You know, whether that's, you know, you've got a script from a doctor and that's, so you've talked to a doctor about cannabis, they've given you some guiding principles around dosing and how to use it for your circumstances. And then that, and maybe that's something that you need to update every six months. And if mm -hmm. you have that script or that letter from your doctor um, and you're buying it um, legally, then that gives you the ability to drive. Yeah, and a doctor's putting eyes on you to make sure that you're not abusing the medicine, that it's not, you know, that there's no obvious impairment or intoxication, you know, or signs of problematic use. Um, I think it would be really valid that way. And, it, you know, pe people want to be able to drive and most people's livelihoods in Australia are based around their capacity to drive. So I think that would be a great way of actually helping to promote the legal and registered routes, you know, versus, versus the black market route. Yeah, so I mean, as you said, we're all about getting the medicine to patients as cost effectively as possible and ensuring that there is equal access to it. But I think there is a more nuanced discussion around 
how do you combine the benefits of a medical market and the benefits of a legal market and bring the two together you know, in an interesting model that still has some checks and balances and will promote people moving away from the black market. Because, I mean, from medically, what, what concerns you when patients are consuming product from a black market? Is it the unknown of how it's grown and, and what sort of fertilisers or pesticides are used on it? What What is your words, what are your words of cautions to patients about um, black market cannabis? Well, there's a few, there's a few, few different sort of issues. One, one being that the, the product itself could be contaminated with things that you obviously don't want to be ingesting or in, inhaling. So one of the characteristics of cannabis is that it's a bioaccumulator, which means that it has these long tap roots that sort of go deep into the soil and, and it sucks up everything, you know, in the, in the soil, in the soil around it. So if there's heavy metals, if there's, you know, pesticides, toxins, these types of things, then that will end up in, in the finished product. And also, it is, you know, a natural product, you know, with a dense structure, if there's moisture in there, you know, it's not dried or cured properly, then you can get sort of mold, you can get other sort of bacterial sort of infestations that you obviously don't want to be getting into your system as well. And when, you know, no one's testing for those for those things, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to tell, you know, just from the you know, from looking at the product a lot of the time, whether there's these 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 issues and and you're not gonna potentially notice the effects for a you know, long period of time until they've sort of accumulated up to a certain level. So that 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 element, the safety element is, is one significant component, but also there's just a lack of understanding of how people can best utilize cannabis. You know, there's many people who've been self-medicating for 30 years. They might know the ins and outs of the plants, the plant, you know, quite, quite well, but they have no, they haven't been guided ever on how to use it appropriately so that it works you know, in the best way for them alongside their body's own natural physiological sort of systems, you know, to use it in a very mindful and reflective sort of practice to use it in a way that actually helps to helps them engage in other health promoting activities, because a lot of people will feel the benefit of cannabis over a period of time, we live in a consumer capitalist society where we're told that more means better. And they take that approach with with cannabis. And they, you know, they, they're thinking that intoxication is the goal rather than, than relief. And that just leads to a cycle where people have become, you know, more dependent on, on, on cannabis and it becomes more of a crutch or they, you know, they, they're sort of blocking out the distressing nature of the world rather than using the relief that they get from their cannabis to engage in the world in a more positive manner, which it, which it, can, really, which it can really help people do. So the lack of guidance um, from the black market or even from a purely legalized market is concerning to me there needs to be appropriate education and dialogue um not saying that using cannabis for intoxicating effects has no no benefit but you know you don't want that to be the primary aim most of the time all right can i grow it at home of course exclamation mark our bill provides for up to six plants to be grown at home without a license and without tax for personal use if you want to personally grow more than this, it will need to be through a licensed co-op and not in a residential neighbourhood. <laughs> what are your thoughts on on people being able to grow cannabis at home? Look, I, I, I'm a, quite a big supporter of people growing their own cannabis at, at home. But once again, it would need to be done with, you know, with the 
with the right framework to make sure that they understand the risks, the challenges that they would have, you know, available testing facilities so that they could do, you know, test their product to make sure that it's, you know, not, not contaminated as well. And to make sure that they were growing appropriate sort of products for their, for their medical medical sort of needs. So I don't think just people just throw, throwing some seeds in, in their backyard and, and, you know, letting them sprout is, a, is gonna provide the outcomes that you know people are looking for i think it needs to have some structure around it um as well but you know it, it, I, i'd like people to be able to grow a few plants because rather than just using it for the inhaled route there's benefits for you know using it in salads or smoothies and, and using it more of as a culinary, culinary sort of herb um as as well which we don't have at the moment yeah i'm also supportive of people being able to grow it at home i mean it's you know, it's not. It, it is an easy plant to grow, albeit you know you you can't just leave it throw seeds. You say you can't just throw seeds in the garden. But again, if you are wanting to use it for medical purposes without the ability to test it, you have no idea what the mm. THC percentage is. You know, there's questions around where people are getting seeds from and the genetics. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you've really got to nail down and. and put a support network around it to ensure that people who do want to grow it from home can source good seeds, can mm. test it, can ensure that they're growing it in a way that's going to be beneficial to them, not harmful to them. But just flat out saying anyone can grow six plants, I don't think solves too many problems. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think what we probably are really sort of saying in this, Sam, is that we're not, you know, against the accessibility of, of, of cannabis or people, know being able to use use this plant but there just needs to be some deeper thought around how we can do it in a way that provides the best outcomes for for australians and doesn't destroy the the medical component of of cannabis which has such high value in my opinion all right who uh who will be growing and selling allows cannabis to be grown by not-for-profit organizations, individuals, and small businesses. There's an explicit prohibition on big pharma, big tobacco, and big alcohol being involved in the industry. Good luck with that. (laughs) Would be my advice. I mean, I don't know how you could possibly legislate that big alcohol, big tobacco, and big pharma couldn't be involved in the industry. seems fanciful to me. Yeah, look, they just have some sub, subsidiary sort of company, you know, that, that would sort of come in and pr- provide that service. I, I, I agree. I think that's a great ideology that there's not people there who are, you know, comfortable exploiting people and, and without the sort of, you know, without having um, moral concerns about their 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 health as those kind of companies might might have. I don't know about the, the pharmaceutical industry, but big tobacco and big alcohol, I think it's it's probably a bit unfair to lump them all three together uh, well it also i mean where where does the existing australian cannabis players fit into that i mean well it, they're not not-for-profits they're not individuals and many of them are maybe would be classified as small businesses but that that will probably change so again it's well, what, what about the existing industry that's helped grow the medical market you know what, yeah. Where do they fit in in in, in these plans? Yeah, and, where, and the, 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 those companies are needing to meet pharmaceutical standards with their with their products. So in in many ways, they're you know uh, acting in in many capacities like a pharmaceutical company, but are definitely not you know big big pharma driven 
um, company. So yeah, it's all. I mean, the it, reality is, once this market gets to a certain size, the big players are going to participate. Whether it's big pharma investing in some of these companies or running drug trials, it's only a matter of time, in my opinion, before. CBD makes its way into alcoholic beverages. There's that non-alcoholic beer company called Heaps Normal making a lot of news at the moment talking about CBD-infused beers. You know, again, it's it, it. I don't know how much thought's gone into some of this, but it seems um, a little fanciful. All right, let's go to the next one. Um, where will I be able to buy cannabis? Cannabis will be available from specialty cafes. Those running and servicing these will be accredited training and responsible service of cannabis. Products will be able to be consumed on-site or as takeaway. Online sales will strictly be limited to preventing stockpiling, access by miners, and on-selling. There will be regional limits to avoid concentration industry in a small blah, 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 blah. We recognise the issues of combining cannabis and alcohol and therefore don't believe it's appropriate to be sold from the same premises. So how does a cannabis cafe uh, differ from a uh, from a what are they called now a dispensary? I mean, what what's your read on what they're trying to say here? A can a cannabis specialty cafe sounds like a dispensary to me. Yeah. Yep. One, so one legal cafe. One, one that you can get a hot, hot chocolate at at the same same time. Right. So you need to be <laughs> those those cafes would need to have a license. I think they're looking at the Amsterdam, Amsterdam model, but the Amsterdam model, the, caf, the cafes is what they've called it over there, but they're really just dispensaries. Of, right. of so they'd be licensed venues that can't sell alcohol as well. Yes. I mean, in theory, again, I mean, medically, what anything jump out at you on this point? Well, look, I, I think what the Greens are sort of hoping for here is that there'll be a, you know, a, a cannabis culture that comes up with, you know, these really interesting sort of cafes and lovely spaces for people to go and enjoy, you know, enjoy the the product that they've consumed, you know, be felt, you know, felt that it's a, an enriching environment to, to go to. And I think that's going to be, you know, that kind of environment would be essential for people who are self-medicating for anxiety and these types of things that go away from the black market. So I think ideally that would be how, how it sort of runs. This inclusive, collaborative, community-driven, you know, Cannabis, cannabis spaces, but if we look at, you know, the Australian policies around, you know, sort of things like tobacco and alcohol, and it's probably going to be seen in that same same sort of ilk. But, you know, I doubt, I, I doubt the government is going to say, oh, great, let's make these cannabis spaces, these community sort of hubs. They're probably going to be no signage, you know, utilitarian sort of buildings where you feel like you're going in to get, you know, Something illicit, anyway. Yeah, 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 something illicit. You know, if you feel feel like you're you're going into be pro, be processed of sorts. So I, I, that's how I feel it probably would end up looking, rather than the ideal sort of version of it being more. I mean, to get to where we are from today, which is a highly regulated <clears throat> by the TGA and other government organisations, mm. to this world. If you don't build the bridge, I don't see how you can go from one to the other. Mm-hmm. There has to be some sort of intermediary step, surely. I mean, is the, is the TGA just going to say, all right, well, there's a there's a change in how we view cannabis and it's now you can now advertise it. You don't need to have any training to be able to sell it or recommend it in a cafe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just seems like a huge jump the shark moment. 
Yeah, yeah. Look, I think I think if we if we do go to dispensary models in in Australia, I think there should always be a health element element there. There should be you know people who are trained to recognise people who are you know using using cannabis correctly, those who are abusing it, those who you know it, there there needs to be a wellness component to it there. Uh, in, in my in my opinion, um, and we don't want we we need to re- recognise that. The, those legal dispensaries should be for people who have no medical issues. If they have medical issues, they should be siphoned into the medical, you know, medical, you know, realm where products are being specifically. Yeah, and again, I mean, why not? <clears throat> I'm not sure why there's been no nuanced discussion around if you're, you know, if you want to go and see your doctor and it's prescribed through your doctor, not purchased through, say, a dispensary. Um, then then it might be some form of P- PBS reimbursement. Yeah. Because yeah, you're ex- getting proper medical advice mm-hmm. and you're using it in a way that best suits your medical needs. Yeah, whether it's PBS or exclusions from those taxes. From the taxes, been, yeah. From the, from, the, from the taxes. I think that's going to need to happen so that people will continue to invest in medical products because what we've seen in places like, you know, North America... You know, especially in the USA, when 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 cannabis has been legalized in a state, you know, and all these dispensaries pop up, they they're there to service the market that wants to get as high as possible, and they're you know producing generally you know really high sort of THC products, you know, high THC sort of edibles, concentrates, vapes, all of these all of these types of things that you know only have select medical value. And and all of the research goes out of that area. No one's looking at minor cannabinoids, other non-intoxicating compounds, the value that these things bring. And so medical patients who are then looking to get relief without getting high don't have anywhere to go because that market just disappears. And that's my biggest fear with, with the with the whole thing is that we've got this we have a really quite a streamlined medical system that is serving the needs of our patients because it's requiring our doctors to become upskilled and learn about this medicine and to provide recommendations themselves rather than it being provided by a bud tender. And if we if we don't consider consider it, you know, appropriately, then we're going to lose we, we're potentially going to lose the medical benefit of this plan and it just becomes an intoxicant, which I think would be a real shame. Well, and the, the I mean, I've been into the uh, dispensaries in the US and in Canada, and the reality is, bud tenders are commercially incentivized to sell particular products where they have sales incentives on that month from certain companies. Yeah, and the the medical knowledge of a bud tender is low. They've got decent product knowledge, but mm. their medical knowledge is low. Um, <clears throat> what forms will cannabis be available in? They say uh, be available to buy through cannabis, blah, 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 flour, concentrates, beverages, edibles like brownies and gummies. We expect that following global trends will be a strong move away from smoking as the primary way cannabis is consumed, which will further limit the health impacts of this form of consumption. So, again, I call a little bit of BS on this one. I was just about to call BS as well on that. That's just... Because in the US, um, you know, 25% more of the market is in pre-rolled joints. Yeah, that's the reality, and people—that's not vaping. That's people old school smoking joints. Which again, you know, I, there are absolute health issues associated with smoking. No one's going to deny those. 
choice. But in a market where you are freely making people, giving them full choice, it is not going to get people moving away from smoking. No, flower, flower still rules in all of these, you know, legalized legalized markets, whole flower or, or pre rolls, and and the, you know, the the edibles and you know capsules and tinctures make up the minority of, of product sales, and and so I, I I think that that's yeah naive to think that it's going to become safe safer by having a legalized market. Yeah, and also I mean there are there's a lot of evidence come and again i'm not against gummies and brownies or beverages but let's call a spade a spade in the u.s and in north america there are provinces in canada now where you you are prohibited from selling edibles that have any resemblance to confectionery and so i know when i was uh recently in ontario i think it was oh sorry in montreal you could only get um thc and cbd infused uh, freeze-dried cauliflower. Yeah. There was no brownies or gummies or macaroons like there are in the US. So, again, I, I think this this is uh, intentionally avoiding some of the other pitfalls that come with just making these types of products available easily and accessibly through a cafe. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, there's so many... The reason they've done that in Canada is because you know people who become too intoxicated leave their medicine or their their cannabis around, and it's in the form of you know a tasty treat that a child's going to be you know drawn to. And then we're getting all of these you know these pediatric presentations to the emergency department where they've you know had fifty milligrams sort of you know THC edibles and all this kind of jazz, which is something we definitely want to avoid. Yeah, I can't imagine how a young child would cope physiologically with five gram five milligrams of thc in their system let alone a 50 plus i mean it must be catastrophic for them in the short term yeah yeah it's not 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 ideal not ideal but like you know and places like the amsterdam a lot of the the edibles are things that are baked there on site you know you eat it eat it there at the cafe i think that's completely safe and you know you're not you're not going to you know, it's not going to have the same risk of it getting in, getting into the wrong hands, but taking home a you know a bag of THC gummies and leaving them lying around with no child child proofing and all that kind of stuff has a lot of potential risk. So again, I think what we're saying here is, look, there is a place for these products, and we're not anti them, but mm. let's not be naive enough to say that if we if we start having cannabis cafes, people aren't going to smoke; they're going to move toward ed- edibles. And that there are no concerns or thought that should be given into what that actually means from a health benefit as well. Yeah, yeah. I just think it needs to be well thought out, and the the medical validity of cannabis needs to be front front and center, and needs to be benefited by creating this this market rather than being significantly negatively impacted like it has been in other parts of the world. All right, where will I be able to use cannabis? Cannabis consumption will be possible in cannabis cafes, private homes. Purchased cannabis will be required to be stored safely and away from children. <laughs> uh, consumption of cannabis in public spaces by smoking or vaping will be limited according to existing rules that apply to tobacco. I don't think there's anything too controversial there, but again, I mean, purchased cannabis will be required to be stored safely and away from children. What I mean, how does one regulate that other than to say, I guess, if, you know, if you're a child, shows up at the ED and they've consumed cannabis, 
um, you know, you're potentially liable in some way. I yep. mean, that to me is the only possible mechanism that yep. you can control that. Well, maybe like they, you, know, you have to purchase a safe that you go home with and you register. Yeah, I mean, that's they, not the police, the police are going to drop in and like they do with like they do with guns in in Australia. You look, yeah, it's it's a there's a very broad brush stroke approach. Yeah. With, yeah. Again, no nuance. Yeah. And and once again, saying that you know we aren't against we're not against it. Just really need some careful consideration to get it right, and that's the only way that these these kind of bills are ever going to be passed as well. Like where there's the specific steps and and the the you know what the variables have been sort of considered and how you know ways that we could potentially mitigate sort of risk and harm you know need to be you know fully fully considered. Yeah, and you can't. Have. I mean, if you're going to allow people to purchase flour. Even if you get it through medically, you can't stop someone taking the flour that you've prescribed them for vaping and turning it into an edible at home. I mean, I'm sure that is happening, you know, uh, regularly out there where people are taking the cannabis flour that's been prescribed to them for vaping and they're turning it into can of butter and turning it into gummies or brownies. Um, but perhaps there can be some more consideration given to what is sold as versus what is prescribed, um, you know, in a in a more accessible setting. Yeah, are they going to be monitoring, you know, how much people have bought, you know, how much they're sort of consuming? Like when we're providing people with scripts, they get a limited a limited number. There's a dispensing sort of interval. You know, if anyone's trying to access medicine faster, the pharmacy, you know, can contact, you know, the doctor, the prescriber, those scripts can be cancelled. There's, you know, safe scripts, Q scripts, these types of things to make sure that the person... Well, limiting the amount of THC. I mean, I've seen um, yeah. edible, like gummy snakes and laces in the US with a thousand milligrams of THC in them. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next one. Uh, what about health impacts? The data we have suggests there'll be no massive increase in the number of people consuming cannabis. So we consider it unlikely there'll be a significant increase in adverse health consequences. The most significant change we make in cannabis properly regulated product that will be uncontaminated with other substances and the ability to seek medical assistance to help addiction problems. So we already have a system in place that ensures it's properly regulated product that's uncontaminated. I mean, unless they're saying there that's a reference to more people moving away from the black market. And when they say the data we have suggests there'll be no massive increase in the number of people consuming cannabis, that is not the numbers we're seeing coming out of the US. I mean, the, the percentage of the adult population consuming cannabis in the US is at all-time highs, which, again, I don't have a problem with. I mean, no, that's yeah. fine, but what is this data? <laughs> Where are they yeah. pulling this data from? I think one thing that is reassuring from from the US is it doesn't seem to be a significant increase in adolescent consumption of, of, of cannabis in a, in a lot of these legalised states. And I think what we know with adolescents is if something is a contraband and they can't have it, then they're more likely to want it, whereas making it legal you know, makes it less 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 exciting, and I think that's you know that's a benefit. I think you're going to find more people will experiment and play with cannabis if it's legalized, which it might be a good thing. I mean, they might actually move away from more harmful things like you know alcohol as a as a way for you know relaxation and, and social participation. So I don't necessarily think that increasing it, uh, increasing the the amount of people using cannabis is, is a negative thing as as well. But it there really needs to be the guidance around it so that when new people do try cannabis that they have a positive experience as well it's not this you know hor horrible thing because having too much cannabis is is not a not a pleasant thing it's safe it's not going to cause you any sort of physical toxicity but uh yeah 
you, you you're not gonna it's not gonna be enjoy enjoyable so there just needs to be a lot of um there's a lot of nuance there's a lot of nuance here that's that's being missed out and like you said we do already have a medical market that's for anyone that has any valid reason for using cannabis they can access it easily they have collect selection of you know you know appropriate products you know they can actually you know they've got multiple pharmacies or their regular pharmacies that can dispense it people can get it delivered to their to their house so the accessibility of cannabis you know is is pretty yeah pretty i mean good. if you live in the states you can't go and get a cannabis prescription from walgreens I mean, the accessibility question or issue that gets raised here, I think, is is absolute nonsense. Other than the price, yeah, you know, price is a if if you factor price into the accessibility argument, then yes, accessibility is a problem. But in terms of your ability to go to most doctors now, I think over fifty percent of doctors have written a script, and then to have that easily accessible from your local pharmacy or have it delivered to your home. Um, we are one of the more accessible cannabis markets in the world, I think. Yeah, look, I, I think you might have just done a, a little bit of a BS set of stat there as well with the amount of doctors who are prescribing. It's, it's I think about ten to fifteen percent of Australian doctors have written a script, but you know, ninety five percent of scripts are probably going through about five percent of doctors right. at 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 this stage. So the accessibility issue, you know, in certain areas, when because because of the Lack of education for certain prescribers, you know, might might be a, might be a thing, but we don't need to create a whole new market. We just need to sort of focus on providing high quality education to, you know, the regular regular doctors, so that more people are sort of have knowledge. So you you do to... think that there there would be some folks on? Oh, let's just pick a um, maybe an elderly patient who talks to their doctor about it. That doctor might poo poo it. That person might feel that medicinal cannabis is not accessible to them, and that that, that that's a reasonable argument. At this yep. point in time, yeah, and, and that does unfortunately happen all, all too often, and it's a, it's a real sort of shame. But if they, you know, get online and Google, you know, medicinal cannabis, and they, they're surely going to be able to provide find multiple providers that are going to be able to, you know, give them that service. Um, they're just, you know, not going to have the uh, the tick of approval from their their own GP, which does stop a lot of people um, from from using sort of cannabis. Um, but I don't think those people are all. You know, if they're, they're cannabis naive and have medical issues, I, I doubt they're going to wander down to their local cannabis cafe either and uh, and get a pre-roll. Yeah. All right. Well, now this one, obviously, we, we have a conflict of interest, which we've got to call out. But this one, just this next question is, will this change medicinal cannabis? This scheme does not change the current medicinal cannabis schemes. However, it will allow most people who need access to cannabis for medical reasons and cannot afford the extremely high prices in the current market to have far cheaper legal access to the product and therefore put significant downward pressure on the cost of medical cannabis. Once once again, I don't know where the, the facts are there. Look, people can, there's there's concessional scheme sort of flour that's, you know, 15 grams for, for $100. So what's that? Seven point, you know, $7.50 per, per gram, which is as cheap as they're talking that the best of the legal market will, will get to at some point in time. So people can get, you know, affordable medicine, you know, when it look, looking at the consult, consult fees, you know, they, they, they vary if people are on a tight budget, then there are companies that have very cheap consults, not always providing the best quality of care, but you know, that that's accessible still for, for those, for those patients. And what we're, one of the big things in Australia at the moment, which is, which is great is that 
we're, we're trying to get CBD, you know, to over the counter, you know, to be a schedule three medicine and the companies are needing to invest in research to prove that their medicines are effective for the conditions that they're saying that they are. So it's forcing these companies to engage in high quality, high quality research, which is just benefiting everyone, you know, in the, in the cannabis industry sort of worldwide, we take away that sort of financial incentive for these companies to to produce the evidence because they can just sell sell their products over the counter and say whatever claims they want on them then no one's going to do the research so we're going to lo- we're going to lose the incentive in many ways for companies to do to do the research yeah and again i mean for me it comes back to all right you want lower prices but to grow it to grow it well to ensure that it is free from impurities that it's been grown in the right environment that there is a level of testing it's really hard to do it and sell it for seven dollars a gram, particularly if you're doing it in Australia. So, what what you know what are, are the Greens proposing that there is an Australian production of cannabis, or are they do they think it's all going to come from overseas? And in which case, that kind of then does wipe out their whole point around safety and and efficacy of the of the and quality of the product. Yeah, I, I look. I don't know how how much they've sort of how how much of the industry they've spoken to you know whether they figured out how much it actually costs to produce you know high quality cannabis consistently that's you know free from contaminants and pesticides you know uh it it's uh it it's got a lot of um a lot of refinement necessary to to actually have a realistic model and and i think that you know having greater accessibility to to cannabis can be a really beneficial thing but just opening the doors with legalization without strategies in place could significantly negatively impact medical patients. All right. This is the last one. Um, what about drug driving laws? So I think we're, we're absolutely 100% on the same page here as the greens and the legalized cannabis folks around, um, ensuring that if you have cannabis in your system, but you are not, um, impaired, then driving, um, should be driving rules should be regular should should change. Um, what's your what are your views on the and, and to me this is the most logical first step yeah. in in bridging that gap or jumping the shark from where we are today to where ideally we would like to be as a society and having informed and and sensible use of cannabis. Fix the driving laws. And I think that will start to fix some of the other problems. So what what is a logical play to take forward from the driving laws being changed? I think it would, my gut is, and you you can talk to it, but I think it will increase the number of doctors potentially willing to prescribe, increases the accessibility for people because now they don't have the fear of recrimination. Um, And that may increase volumes which bring prices down. Yeah, hundred percent. I think we the 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 medicinal cannabis market, you know, would double, triple, quadruple, you know, relatively quickly if the the driving laws were brought into a. a it's, we're not creating new driving laws for, for for cannabis. We're just bringing it into alignment with every other potentially intoxicating medication that is out, that is out there sort of currently. So totally in agreement that the driving laws need to change. The the reason that cannabis is is you know is is still where it is in regards to being considered you know the 
for DUIs is is not scientific. There's no evidence behind the stance. It's based on war on drugs and cannabis being one of those, you know, drugs that have been dis- discriminated against and it's bias and stigma that still holds it holds it there. Um, so, We've yeah. done a whole piece on on the on the uh, driving law, so we can we'll put a little link to that in in this little in this clip. All right. So on the whole, having sort of gone through it um, argument by argument, what's your you know what's your uh, overview? I guess what's your gut feeling on, on what the Greens are proposing, or or do you think this is just a a means for them to start the discussion and, you know, how it actually plays out. They know it won't look exactly like this for a long time, but um, they're just sort of setting the groundwork for for making the change. I I, I think they're put, putting forward what their hopes and dreams might be with, without looking at the full impact of how these situations are going to play out for, for, for the difference of the parties. You know, so... And getting getting greater accessibility for people who need cannabis, I think, is really important. You know, changing the driving laws, but um, I don't necessarily think that just having a dispensary model similar to to North America is going to improve improve the quality of life of uh, of of those who use use cannabis dramatically. All right, great. Well, good discussion. I think next uh, our next task should be to get someone from the Greens or the Legalised Cannabis Party to come on and, and discuss with us and have a steel man each other's positions and have a, a good discussion about it. I'd love it. Righto. Talk to you soon. Everybody.